Episode 6, Scranton Joe Biden. I moved from Brooklyn to Pennsylvania last September, back to Luzerne County. While doing this podcast, I've been living three blocks away from the apartment I was born in, right around the corner from where a good friend of mine overdosed and died almost 20 years ago. So it's been a funky year. To add to the funk, Luzerne County was somewhat of a national hotspot leading up to the presidential election back in November. Deciders, the deciders were calling them that in Luzerne County, Pennsylvania, because this county went for Donald Trump in 2016 after decades of voting for Democrats, including twice for Obama. Luzerne County has become something of a poster child for the state's swing districts. Women and men who feel they were forgotten turned this historically blue county red, making little-known Luzerne County into a national symbol of the discontent that contributed to Donald Trump's 2016 victory. If you're running for the Oval Office, you ignore northeastern Pennsylvania at your peril. Lucerne County could be crucial to deciding Pennsylvania this year. Both candidates have been wooing Luzerne. Biden, who hails from Scranton in the county next door, held a drive-in rally last weekend. It may come down to Pennsylvania. That's right. In case you haven't heard, me and Scranton Joe Biden are Cole County neighbors. I, I, I really do view this campaign as a campaign between Scranton and Park Avenue. Let's get something straight. Wall Street didn't build this country. You built this country. Yeah. Deep-pocketed donors are flocking to Biden. Wall Street resoundingly backed President Biden, who ended September with $432 million cash on hand. Oh, fuck you, Scranton Joe. Much of the ridicule of me is well-deserved. <laughs> now, I don't know what side of the political aisle you fall on. But it seems like Trump has broken a lot of people's brains. So before I get into it here, I just want to make it very clear where I stand. I believe American politics is a lot like professional wrestling. When I was a kid, I loved watching the WWF. My all-time favorite wrestler is Jake the Snake Roberts. Hey Murph, seems that you have a podcast self-medicated. Sounds like something I might enjoy. (laughs) Not half as much as I enjoyed watching you, my man. Anyhow, when I got a little older, I realized pro wrestling was fake. Not the incredible athletes who put their bodies on the line for our entertainment. They're very real. But the outcome of their matches are predetermined by a rich scumbag named Vince McMahon. And he doesn't give a shit if we root for the good guys or the heels. Long as we keep buying tickets and watching from the sidelines while he puppeteers the whole operation from behind the curtain, then the rich just keep getting richer no matter who's holding the championship belt. So you see, I don't buy this red team, blue team, partisan bullshit we got going on in Washington. Both political parties are controlled by big pharma, big tech, big oil, the big banks, big box retail, big Bezos, big Gates, big Musk, and all the other big swinging corporate dicks out there. And until the working class of this country can agree on that and organize ourselves into a mass militant labor movement that restores all power to the people, we're just a bunch of angry spectators at WrestleMania. The battle of the billionaires is on for WrestleMania. Donald Trump cannot get out of this deal. Which brings me to the 2020 presidential election. In the red corner, we had the neo-fascist con man, Donald Trump. Stand back and stand by. And in the blue corner, the neoliberal puppet of Wall Street, Joe Biden. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. For those of you who've been in a coma for the past year, trust me, there was quite the hoopla surrounding this matchup. There was one moment in particular that stood out to me during the debates. 
Hunter got thrown out of the military, dishonorably discharged. That's not true. For he wasn't dishonorably. Cocaine use, and he didn't have a job. My son, like a lot of people, like a lot of people we know at home, had a drug problem. He's overtaken it. He's 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 fixed it. He's worked on it, and I'm proud of him. Now, first off, fuck Trump for trying to score some points off the stigma of Hunter Biden's drug use. But how about Scranton Joe's response there? Well, it's lovingly supportive of his own son. Where's Hunter? I'm right here. I bought crack cocaine on the streets of Washington, D.C. and cooked up my own inside a hotel bungalow in Los Angeles. It's laughably hypocritical to the generations of families he's fucked over with his bullshit drug policies. We passed a law. We said crack cocaine is such a bad deal that if you find someone with this much of it, a quarter's worth, not in value, in size, five years in jail. Nah, you might be thinking... Come on, man. It ain't like Biden's personally responsible for America's shitty drug policy. Well, try telling him that. Since 1986, Congress has passed over 230 new or expanded penalties for drug and criminal offenses in this United States. Every major crime bill since 1976 that's come out of this Congress, every minor crime bill, has had the name of the Democratic senator from the state of Delaware, Joe Biden, on that bill. I am the proud sponsor of, or the shameful father of, 2,000 pages of tough legislation, all of which is passed under my co-sponsorship or sponsorship or leadership of the Senate. Now, for all the broken brains out there saying, but what about Trump? He's evil, man. Biden says, keep riding the ball here. I'm well aware Trump is evil, and I know all about your lesser of two evils voting strategy. For example, here's Trump's idea of tough drug policy in 2018. If we don't get tough on the drug dealers, we're wasting our time. And that toughness includes the death penalty. God damn, that is evil as hell. Most of us who've used drugs have certainly sold them from time to time. Now, here's some lesser evil tough talk out of Biden back in 1991. If you are a major drug dealer involved in the trafficking of drugs, there is now a death penalty. And we passed it a couple years ago. All right. Well, you see, with the law Biden's talking about here, somebody who's involved with the drug deal in some way has to die or be killed. And then capital punishment is on the table. Whereas Trump is talking about just indiscriminately killing drug dealers. Uh, maybe this ain't the best example. Uh, how about this one? The thing that I hear more than anything else in terms of problems is the drug problem. It's pouring across from largely from the southern border. It's not going to happen that way anymore, folks, because we're going to have that wall. That wall is going to be so big and so strong and so powerful. It'll be a beautiful wall and we're going to name it Trump someday, maybe, right? Of course. Classic Trump. Campaigning in 2016, demonizing Mexicans by claiming they're a bunch of drug smugglers. That's just fucking evil. And pitching us on the absurd idea that building a wall will somehow keep drugs off American soil? (laughs) Uh, Here's Biden when he was running for president back in 2008. You have to have a significant increase in the security at the border, including the fence. You force these drug dealers and others around making it easier to apprehend because there's fewer places to come through. Sure, a fence is less evil than a wall. Why not? But you know, dueling xenophobic rhetoric aside, 
It's still fucking absurd to suggest that a fence would keep drugs out of America. You can't take 100 kilos of cocaine over and under a fence. Okay, well, is that a challenge there, Scranton Joe? Because if you want to give me 100 kilos of blow, I will hop right the hell over your fence and then blast through Trump's wall like the goddamn cocaine Kool-Aid man. Lesser of two. Lesser of two. Okay. How about supervised drug consumption sites where people can use drugs safely with the support of trained personnel? In countries where places like this are legal, they've drastically reduced overdose deaths. These facilities are literal lifesavers, but that evil bastard Trump ain't having it here in America. Philadelphia is trying to become the first U.S. city to give opioid users a place to legally inject drugs. Justice Department lawyers will argue in federal court today against the nonprofit that wants to open the site. The Trump administration is threatening prosecution. They say it's a violation of something known as the Crack House Statute, which was written back in the 1980s. Hmm, I wonder what lesser of two evil pricks wrote that statute. I'm the guy who authored the Crack House legislation. We can use the crack house legislation to tear down these buildings. So to clarify, Donald Trump managed to fuck drug users in 2019 by dusting off a law written by Joe Biden back in 1986. <laughs> That's fucking teamwork. Now let's bring it full circle. There's another lifesaver for us IV heroin users that these two jerk offs got tangled up together over. It's called buprenorphine, and it's widely considered to be the gold standard in medication-assisted treatment for opioid use disorder. I mean, Scranton Joe was talking about buprenorphine, or bup, as early as 1989. You know, there are nine drugs right now, from naltrexon to buprenorphine to others that hold great promise, all of which can impact significantly on the consumption habits of hardcore users. But the FDA has yet to approve. Funny thing, the FDA ended up approving buprenorphine to treat opioid addiction in 2002. But not before Biden and his buddy, Senator Orrin Hatch, co-wrote a piece of legislation that included what's known as the X waiver, which essentially just made bup harder for doctors to prescribe to patients who were trying to get off heroin. Now keep in mind, at the exact same time, there was no such red tape surrounding doctors as those OxyContin prescriptions were just flying off their pads and up our noses and into our veins. And listen, don't get me wrong, I'm an anarchist, so I'm against red tape going up anywhere for any reason. But I'm also a comedian, so I appreciate the irony of a government that claims their drug laws are on the books to protect us, when in fact they were non-existent while an entire generation got hooked on prescription opioids, but were there to punish us when we turned to the streets for a cheaper alternative in heroin, and then created barriers for us as we decide to seek treatment. <laughs> That's terrific. That's terrific. I call that cutaway clip. Bupert Pupkin. <laughs> oh, this lack of access to medicine is fucking killing us. Oh, and uh, how's this for a bizarre twist? In the final days of the Trump administration, Admiral Brett Girard, then Assistant Secretary for Health, said with overdoses surging, doctors would be allowed to prescribe buprenorphine without first taking a training class and applying for a waiver. This change is earth-shaking. 
to the substance use community. And I do believe it will save thousands or tens of thousands of lives. But the Washington Post reported yesterday the Biden administration is delaying the policy change because of legal concerns over how it was implemented. One last time for the broken brain crowd. Trump is a legitimate authoritarian strongman, and we got to resist him at all costs. But when it comes to the lesser of two evils philosophy, man alive, at this point they got us rooting around in the toilet for two turds to decide which one is less shitty. That said, what the hell can we do about it? Well, I have a plan. And it just might be batshit enough to work. I gotta change Scranton Joe's mind about drugs. But it's too late now, you see. I'm gonna have to get to him before all the heinous anti-drug bills he wrote are signed into law. I'm talking long before the Rave Act of 2003 or the Drug Addiction Treatment Act of 2000, before the 94 Crime Bill and the mandatory minimum sentencing laws he got passed in 1991, hell, before the 1986 Anti-Drug Abuse Act or the Comprehensive Control Act of 84. My only chance is to go back and stop Biden before his 40-year reign of legislative terror even begins. We're sending you back to the future! You heard him, Scranton Joe. I'll see you in 1980, before I was born, for a good old-fashioned debate on the legalization of drugs in America. And to hell with your infrastructure plan, because where we're going, we don't need roads. I promise you, in my term, we're going to end the drug scourge. Using drugs initially may be a moral question. Once someone is addicted, it becomes a medical question. Why are the police agencies soft on crime? When are they all of a sudden these commie liberal simps? The Constitution protects the right of junkies to buy guns. There are almost a million addicts running around out there already robbing you. When someone wants to go buy the marijuana, they crack someone over top of the head, take their wallet. Children kill adults when they are consuming drugs. If I had to live in an apartment house where everybody was freebasing or an apartment house where everybody was injecting heroin, I want to live where they inject heroin. What the hell is going on here? I wrote the bill. All right, I'm here in 1980 to debate a 38-year-old senator from Delaware by way of Scranton, Pennsylvania, named Joseph Robinette Biden, Jr. Thank you very much, Murph. And I might add, it's my honor to be on a panel that you are moderating. Fuck you. Today's topic up for debate is the legalization of drugs in the United States of America. Each of us has two minutes to make our case. Why? Why? Why, why, why? Because them's the rules of this Back to the Future-esque debate now. Buckle up, buddy boy. Your two minutes starts right now. If, in fact, drugs were legalized, the argument has been underway for some time in this country. Why don't we just legalize it? The answer is Big Brothers made a judgment that, in fact, we not only should protect those addicts and junkies who will kill themselves because they overdose on heroin and they, they in fact kill themselves with the drug. 
So we as a society have made the judgment, which I happen to subscribe to, that we should in fact protect our citizens, even those who are inflicting this, this sin upon themselves. And the second reason is that as a people, it seems to me that the government of the United States should not knowingly condone something they have no doubt about the effect of the use of. In other words, even though we would diminish, I have no doubt, diminish crime, and we would diminish the size of the syndicates, we would be making such a statement about the morality of this country that is something we could not live with. That if we as a country were to conclude that notwithstanding the fact we could reduce crime, the price at which we would reduce it would be to legalize something that is patently immoral on its face and legalize something that in fact we know will result in the death of thousands and thousands of Americans, although on balance the argument can be made we probably would have less crime and we would probably have less of a pernicious impact on the part of organized crime. We have as a society opted not to do that. That's time. Now, here I go. You know, I'm glad you got to the heart of the matter here, Scranton Joe, because all the legislation you're about to contribute to America's drug war over the next 40 years ends up being an epic failure. If, as you say, the end goal is to save the souls of drug users from their own wicked impulses... Now, we all know that's horseshit. These drug laws are about oppression at home and imperialism abroad, but you claim it's about saving lives. So let me assure you, you failed on that front, big time. People who use drugs are dying in record numbers, and drug use in general has increased, even after decades of your punitive anti-drug laws. Fact is, there ain't a goddamn thing you can do to stop us from using drugs. So brother, you gotta let it go. The president of the Philippines, Rodrigo Duarte, has used the extrajudicial killing of drug users in his drug war. He's literally got death squads gunning down people in the streets for the mere possession of drugs. And after 10 ruthless years of that, guess what? The Filipino people are still using drugs. Meanwhile, two decades ago, Portugal decriminalized all drugs in their country, used the money they were spending on enforcement on a public health approach to addiction. And guess what? Overdose deaths have been dramatically reduced, and new HIV and hepatitis C infections have almost disappeared entirely. Nicotine and alcohol are legal drugs that kill almost 600,000 Americans every year. Your illegal drugs were responsible for the death of about 90,000 of us this past year, largely because they're illegal. We don't have a safe supply, and there's a shit ton of barriers in the way of treatment. So the logic behind your we-gotta-protect-our-citizens routine is garbage, and it doesn't hold up in the slightest. So Scranton Joe, from one northeastern Pennsylvanian to another, cut the shit and decriminalize drug use at the federal level already, will ya? All right, it's time to go back to the future, or the present, or whatever the hell it is, I don't know. Did it work? The truth of the matter is, we, there's not nearly been enough evidence that has been acquired to legalize marijuana. Ah, shit. Not even weed? Well, I tried. But here's the thing. Help ain't coming from the top down. Never has, never will. Presidents, senators, governors, these people wouldn't piss on our teeth if they were on fire. We gotta have each other's backs out there. 
I'm talking mutual aid organizations, community-driven programs, grassroots harm reduction services. This is what saves lives and builds solidarity. And you know, I shit on electoral politics, but I got nothing but love for the people out there who are fighting every day for policy changes at the local, state, and federal level. In the battle for human rights, we gotta come at them from every front. Long as we all got revolutionary equality as the destination dialed into our GPS, then just pick a lane and put the pedal to the floor, comrade. And what does that look like in practice? Well, if you get nothing else out of listening to this podcast, please check out the resource tab on our website, selfmedicatedpod.com, for a whole bunch of dynamite harm reduction resources that'll help get you started. And that's that for the first season of Murph Meyer is Self-Medicated. From the bottom of my heart, thank you all for listening. Self-Medicated is produced by Michelle Francesca Thomas and Mick Moore with support from the Open Society Foundations. Our theme song is My Congressman by 15, courtesy of Jeff Ott and Hopeless Records. All other music composed by Lucas Hazlitt, and all episodes are engineered by Emily Chen Newton. I'm Murph. Love and solidarity. Goodbye.